Thanks as always for listening. Today, Chris and I are going to talk about when it makes sense to roll the dice and when it doesn't make sense to roll the dice. We start off with a like an overview history of the whole convention of dice rolling in tabletop RPGs. Thanks for listening to Fluff and Crunch, where we talk about the connection and sometimes disconnect between system, setting, and story in tabletop RPGs. Well, it is good to talk to you again after... Or, I don't know, two weeks or something like that? Not sure. I think two weeks, yeah. Um, how's your gaming been going? And how are things in general with you right now? Uh, I'm trying to, I think. Because it's two mm. weeks now, sort of thing. So I've, I've played at two separate Marvel events, and I've done, I think they, they both went okay. They weren't amazing, but they weren't bad. But it, it, they, it got me some new badges on the online rating Well, and did you enjoy which yourself? Which was good. Um, yeah, I did enjoy that was the main thing. I enjoyed myself both times. I had two, I had two really good uh, events, and then because of the last time we so we finished now my my Tales from the Loop little mini campaign. So the, the Tales from the Loop book comes with a a very short campaign where each each adventure is a separate season. So you start off in the summer and you basically play like something happens in the summer and then uh, and then autumn or fall for you guys, uh, winter and then and then okay. spring. Um, and that was and that was great. So we played through the whole thing and it's got a nice run through. And there's like a bad guy who's sort of there in the scenes, and then they become more into the forefront as you go through. Uh and then and then at the end of that, um, Brian's character would have become 16. And the tales from the loop rules basically say when your character ages up to 16, you can't play anymore. Right. It's like so, Logan's uh, run. Yeah. You get so. ejected, you, you get disintegrated in Logan's run and and uh in Tales from the Loop, you yeah, I don't know. Go yeah. get a part-time job or yeah. something like that. He's too old to uh, get involved in little mysteries now. So even if he wanted to go back, he'd have to have a new character. So, um, so yeah, we we enjoyed that. That was good. So, um, and we're going to play a, a little bit of Alien next because I've got an Alien adventure and they wanted to play it. But how about you? Well, we had this most. We we finished up Octon Cthulhu adventure that I was running the uh, Operation Vanguard, and that that went well. They um. They rescued some deep ones who had been captured by the Nachtwulfa and were being experimented on. And that wasn't their goal, but they, that was like incidental. <laughs> okay. I always struggle with using words that I think are jargon. And cinematic is pretty close to jargony in, uh, in the game world. But in this moment, I think it worked. I had uh, the, the deep ones... Uh, the deep ones showed up and, uh, and ended up assisting... Uh, in the end, not so much assisting, but like getting their buddies out and like taking out the, um, so yeah, the deep one showed up and, uh, and wreaked havoc on the Nazis and, and one of them got away. I did that thing that you're supposed to, um, you're supposed to do in pulp adventures where you have, <laughs> you have the adversary get away. And so I had one of them get away. Uh, so yeah, it went well. And then this last weekend I ran, um, this new adventure that takes place in London called Operation Wallace. Another one that I picked up from Modiphius. Operation Wallace was okay. Uh, all I'm going to say about it, cause I don't want to spoil it for anyone who might want to play it is that it's, it's based on, I think part of the, the, the fun of it is based on it being a, like a, a time suspense. You know, like that there's a, there's the, the clock is against you. Right. And it's really hard to get players who are naturally inclined to want to investigate everything. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. to 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 accept like how do you what do you say okay everyone it's very tense and time is short if you say that meta wise it, it it's kind of lame yeah i think um, unless there's an actual like if they know the the end point like you know it it, it is at, at this like yeah. at midnight this thing will happen you have until midnight well, to do that. That was like, the that was what I recognized was the trouble in the adventure and how it's written is that the degree to which time is not on your side becomes known through investigation over right. a little bit of time. And so uh, the problem was they weren't they were deeper into the adventure and deeper into like the night before they started to even realize like oh my goodness something bad is going to happen later. And so I kept trying to say that what, what should have if I were going to run it again, I would I would drop the clue that there's so, like they wouldn't have to discover through their own investigation and extended right. tasks. Yeah. They would not have to discover the fact that something really bad is going to happen before the sun comes up tonight. So immediately that would set them on on edge that they need to get things done because there was this sense like, oh, well, maybe we have a couple of days I'm like, you know, anyway. <laughs> so but it was all right. But we today are going to talk about rolling dice when and how, which I think is it's an interesting topic. And uh, I think we can tease out some decent advice, um, especially for two die 20. So you wanted to talk about the, the kind of the history of it, uh, just the, the place of dice at the at the role playing game table. So tell me what you're thinking about that, because I actually think this is really informative. Yeah. So I think like the way I pitched it to you earlier was that kind of obviously D&D came out of miniatures gaming and in miniatures gaming, pretty much apart from maybe movement, you roll for pretty much. If, if you do something, you roll. And, and that's how early role playing was. So if you were role playing in you know, the 80s and, and the 90s, if you did something, regardless of what it was you were doing, if you were doing something, uh, you rolled for it. And so there was always that chance of, you know, the chance of failure and you, you pass or fail. And also in those games, it would pretty much, well, there was pass or fail. You either succeed or you don't. Right. And that was kind of it. Um, and then over time, we saw more and more books kind of adding in things more along the lines of, well, rather than rolling for everything, only roll when it is going to be, you know, whether, when failure is important. So you roll, you roll when it, roll when it matters uh, or roll, you know, roll when it's going to be interesting. Um, and then, you know, then we sort of saw things, like I said, this, it's early, like sort of powered by the apocalypse kind of things where you, you know, you have moves and it's all a bit weird, but mostly it's a narrative game. So you only roll when it's going to be narratively interesting, but then that linked into a, you know, the idea of failing forward. I mean, like, I think fifth edition does have that in it, but again, it's, it's really hidden in there. It's not really in there. I wouldn't, I wouldn't really say it's something they talk about. So we're still kind of in an idea of a lot of systems where, some systems are still telling you, you know, roll for a lot of stuff and other systems are saying, well, only roll when it's important. And, um, and if you fail, it doesn't matter. And then more and more, this, one of the reasons I thought about this was because we were talking, like I said, I've been playing Tales from the Loop, which is a, a year zero engine from Free League. And you were saying you weren't keen on it, particularly with uh, Alien. And in those games, there's like, unless you've got, unless you only roll with your, the thing you're good at, you will fail a lot. And we, we kind of noticed this yeah. as we played through, like, it, it became a bit odd that Scott is naturally more sort of role-playing talky and Brian is more intelligent, but their characters are the other way. So every time they got into a conversation, it would be Scott trying to talk to someone, but his charm role was abysmal. So he just failed every time. So every time it was right. like, you, you had to go, right, you need to stop talking and the other guy has to do the talking. And every time they were going to do some sort of clever, you know, solving or perception-y thing, 
it would have to be Scotch code because Brian would fail every time. Um, and so kind of like you either play around that your characters have to go, you know, play to their strengths or it was very much like, you know, if you re- the rules are kind of saying, well, actually only roll when it really matters if they fail and otherwise just assume they succeed because that's the important, you know, so you, you kind of the game, although the, well, what the rules say, and what the adventures say were kind of two different things. The adve- the rules would say you only roll when it's going to be like a big deal if you fail, because then if you fail, yeah. it's really important. The adventure had you roll like loads and loads. Um, but usually failure wasn't like the end of the world. Um, and even in like the big, that's not a combat heavy gale terms from the loop at the end, you just have to succeed some roles. And so when it came to that, you could succeed by like avoiding robots or smashing a machine or, or doing, there was loads of different things you could play to your strengths. So it did work, but kind of, that's the kind of idea I was getting that we've gone from a, you roll for everything back in the day in theory to more what i would call modern game design is more along the lines of roll when it roll when it matters or roll when it matters if you fail rather than roll for everything i remember for me the big change not only with frequency of rolling what it seemed like at least but but the reason behind was when i moved from and this is a really long time ago when i moved from D to star frontiers did D and D, you know, old first edition? Really, you know, there are no skills. <laughs> There's nothing like that, and so you had instances. I mean, you obviously rolled. Where you know, combat. You rolled in combat. You rolled for everything in combat, and you would roll to try to achieve certain things. Like when you went through the tables in the player's handbook that would tell you, you know, you can resist this or bend bars, lift gates. I always remember that one. Okay, I'm going to bend a bar and lift a gate, uh, regardless of how big the gate is or regardless of how thick the bar is. You just, you just bend them or lift it. And, uh, and so you had roles to accomplish those, a, a list of things. But then there was a, there, there was like a whole, a whole world, if you want to say it, of, of potential tasks or things you could try to do as a as a player through your character that weren't mentioned like yeah. you know convincing someone of something um stuff like that like the social interactions i mean because the game in its bones was as you said it started as a miniatures combat system and it it, it stayed largely a combat system with a couple of extra things added to it. Virtually everything in those old rules was, was for fighting. And so anything that was outside, the farther you got from fighting, the less the rules had to say about it. And so it was, what I find interesting is that in a lot of those older games, there's a lot of rolling in action. Yeah. And, uh, but not for much of anything else. Now, when you move into skills-based systems, like the Star Frontiers was my first experience with that, where you start to try, the games try to quantify other kinds of areas of endeavor, like computer programming or building a robot or uh, flying a starship, using medicine, like medical skills, things like that. That changed it. And I think it, I don't necessarily think it, it probably increased the amount of rolling that I did, but it spread it out. But still that, that I think the, the default assumption, uh, the default assumption was that you roll for most everything. Anytime that there was a question, whether you could pass or fail, whether you would succeed or fail, you could, uh, you know, you roll. And I don't, that, that idea of only roll when the success or failure is interesting 
or when failure would cause something bad slash interesting to happen, only roll then. That's very much of a recent development in like call it game philosophy or 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 uh design i that that's much and also you know lengthy commentary in like gm's guides where they talk about that yeah i think it also depends on kind of what you've what you're used to and what you've grown up and what you expect you know because like i said i i started on dnd but that was second it was basic like you said didn't have skills second edition and pretty included proficiencies so they did run and but then i remember playing like mm -hmm. top secret si which was all skills based but again you rolled if you want to do something climbing something you roll for if you want to do something stealthy you roll for it. if you want to talk to someone you roll for it you you rolled for everything and like we said that we some game systems are moving away from that now some still aren't and the example i talked to you earlier is I, i've started watching a lot of critical role recently um and matthew mercer who in some ways is a, is a very good dm like, i mean the fact sure. he's a voice actor he's you know he has a separate voice for every npc i wish i could do that i struggle to manage more than sort of my voice cockney Bad America. Oh, you should have heard. I, I was trying to like uh, I was trying to do the uh I don't what I would imagine to be the the slightly uh smug uh like elite class Brit talking a little bit down to the people. I have no idea. I, that that just gets more nasally for me. Um and then the more uh I guess what you'd call cockney, the more um like working class, the less comprehensible. It's like, yeah, right, right. And the answer yeah. to everything is right. Right, which governor. is spelled R-O-Y-T, right. <laughs> um, so, but, so that, I do want to hear your bad American accent. No, I'd, I'd, I'd love go, to hear I'd that. I'd go, you know, like, be like, I go, I get a Texas wave, so I'm not doing that. It's, it's awful. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm not, I always want, it's like when I'm, I find doing something, I want to do those accents, but I, I just don't because I think it'll be terrible. Yeah. Um, but so Matthew Matthew, he's a professional voice actor. So his, his, that stuff's good. His creativity is very good. But the thing I was noticing is he was making his players role for everything. Now, I don't know if that is because he's been playing D&D for so long that even though modern wisdom and even I'm pretty sure the newer D&D books won't do, you kind of don't say role for everything. Um, you know, he does like, you know, he's the things where he's got seven or eight players in a group and they're doing, he makes them all do a stealth check. And I'm sitting there, right. Just straight mm -hmm. out probability. If you make eight players roll for stealth as a party, someone's going to fail. Gonna fail. Like a bunch of them, gonna, you know, they're doing perception checks and like just every, I walk, what do I see? Roll perception. Well, just tell them what's in the room. If they want to hunt yeah, it yeah. out, then, you know, every, every single little thing is roll for this. Um, and I thought like, I, I, I found that really odd that, and he, you know, he's good at, like I said, he's, he's good at it. When they fail things, he'll turn it into something. So he's very good. At, and actually D&D doesn't say that D&D is very binary. It's pass or fail. Really? Yeah. He's actually very good at you succeeded by a lot. So the good thing happens or you failed by a lot. So really, so actually he kind of does deviate from the rules then. Um, you know, he's going into more, what we yeah. see in other systems where you have degrees of success and failure. But I was just amazed at the fact that he seems to like every little thing where I think you, there's a chance there to say you succeed this is what happens the person says this and you just don't roll you know some good role playing there okay you just you, you know i'm not going to make you roll um uh and maybe that's partly the fault of the system that dnd &D get got rid of all of those bonuses which in the past maybe you'd go okay roll but i'll give you a plus two three whatever bonus now your only options are advantage or disadvantage and disadvantage is really bad if you go by the rules yeah uh and advantages and you know an advantage is, is way too good so yeah so actually exactly if you go by the rules you can tweak it in the last say 15 20 years it seems like since third edition came out there's just been so much uh 
game design innovations and and changes and and changes in how um how designers look at the way they're the, the way they envision their game should be played yeah. and some of that commentary that's provided in like gm's guides or books is really useful some of it i find annoying but that is that's definitely a a, a newer thing and i think overall it's it's handy um you look at a game like gumshoe which uses die sixes only and if you're not familiar with it, separates, um, I think they're called skills, I'll just call them skills, into two categories. You've got um, investigative, and then you've got general. And the general is like your punching, climbing, stuff like that, your action sorts of things. And your investigative are the things that you know and the things that you understand, like forensics or cryptography or stuff like that. And when you invoke or when you put to use one of your investigative skills you are automatically successful you never roll for it you're automatically successful and their justification for this or their rationale for this is that this is an investigative game and we never want a bum die roll to 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 strand the plot which can happen i mean you know if you if you really play rules as written say with you know third edition gather information and you don't gather information you're you're well okay we'll just yeah. sit here i think couldn't gather remember, anything. i don't know if it was third or fourth or maybe it was only a spin-off like mutant mass minds where you you could actually you could take 10 and you could take 20. yeah no that was thir- third and 3.5 had take 10 and take 20. you could take 10 outside of combat and take 20 meant that it was it, it took a lot longer yeah but so like if you were doing something that had no time constraints you just and took your time literally then you took the, which is funny so there's an addition like that was in third and i think fourth including that as well so there's an example actually where they went we're going to come up with a rule to stop people having to roll for everything yeah and then fifth edition has just gone nope yeah well that was actually Another a good quirk rule of fifth, it is a good rule and i and i i see there's there's also a, a quirk of fifth edition that i'd really love i would love to hear watsi's rationale for it and it's the they are they are explicit about you must track hit points for all npcs so like the idea of creating a mook pool like minions yeah, like you know or a squad yeah. they explicitly say you can't do that i say come fight me i'm going to do what i want to yeah. do but i i would love to hear their rationale for that but uh, let, let me let me let me say this i i think that y- you you make a really good point you know just because a good idea was had in one version doesn't mean it's going to be it's going to be carried over to another um, I'd like to talk about a little bit because we, so we've, we've got this kind of this history where it seems, and I having been there, yeah, you used to roll for everything, and rolling was pretty much pass fail. Yeah, and and unfortunately, that created situations wherein the interesting things didn't happen because probability was some for whatever reason the the, the probability gods didn't like you that day. <laughs> yeah. And that sucks. Like, I, I hate that, that there's that, we've all had that session where you just continually roll poorly. And you're like, this is just not fun. My character is totally inept today <laughs> and nothing good is coming of it. And no one at the table, or you have a couple people who experience that. Um, and so I'd like to, to talk a little bit about you know, the idea. So we talk about when to roll. Well, how about like when to roll in public? And when should the GM not roll publicly? And also that very touchy subject of fudging rolls. 
obviously GMs get to fudge roles. Players only cheat. Yeah, yeah. Played, so we yeah, don't want cheating. Players, players have to. I mean, this is why I have to watch out when I play with with Mika and Annie because, as far as me concerned, her character should only ever succeed on their roles. So she will fudge roles, something chronic, right. and she's, it's like, wait, it doesn't matter if you fail a role; it's not the end of the world. Um, I guess it depends. Partly, it does depend on the system. And one thing I like about two D twenty is that the kind of players cheat all the time because you'll just throw in momentum and inspiration, not inspiration, you know, and the right. and heat of fret around to get yourself extra dice. So there's a lot. You fail a lot less. Um, I think certainly as a GM, rolling hidden is a good idea because obviously you've got two different reasons you want to fudge. You've got the time you want to fudge because actually, or you just don't roll because you want your, you know, someone's sneaking or they're trying to convince someone and you need the bad guy to succeed that because it's, it's important for the plot that, you know, the bad guy wins there or the players, lose. which, you know, arguably that's railroading. But sometimes there are those situations, maybe a player's done something you weren't expecting. Um, and, there, there, you know, there are times you might want to fudge the role for that. The other one, I mean, that's very rare. The main reason I'll fudge, I'll, you know, fudge my dice will be that time when, ah, you know, I've, I've just rolled a natural 20, my, my, the big bad one, well, my bad guy, my rubbishy goblin is actually going to one shot this player. And he was the last guy standing. Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's a TPK. Uh, and I don't want that to happen. So, oh, he missed. I don't play with a screen up. It just gets in. I just find like it gets in the way for the most part. Um, but the way my table is set up, I can roll in such a way that people would need to be like leaning over me. We're spread out enough. Yeah. So I, I can. I generally roll without oversight. How's that? Um, by by the players, and I don't look at their dice when they're rolling. I I'm, I trust my players, and and again with two die twenty, it is different. You can you can put your thumb on the scale of probability to uh, uh, to accomplish things. But I will I'll I'll fudge in the same same instance that you do. I'm not going to let something that just there are times when a when a a probability based outcome or a probability resultant outcome is so dissatisfying. Yeah. And you just can't make heads or tails of it. Like, you know, you you can't you, in the moment, you can't think of something that would that would be satisfying for everyone at the table. And so being stupid and like rigid and legalistic about it, I'm just not going to do that. So I'll fudge in that case. Sorry, I was going to say the fact that you brought in the 2D20 there is it's a perfect example, which I hadn't really thought of that until you mentioned it. You don't need to fudge rolls in 2D20 as much as you do it in like any other system. Because generally, when you're rolling, as the GM, when you're rolling for the bad guy, if you're not bothered about them failing, you just don't spend any threat. And if they succeed or fail, then, you know, they do. Right. When you want a bad guy to succeed in 2D20, you just spend a load of threat. And they yeah. probably, I mean, they're still not definitely, but you've got like you said you've got that button that you can or that you know the thing you can dial in to give yourself a much better chance so yes. i mean like I, I don't think i've ever found myself fudging my roles in 2d20 compared to other games where ah i didn't want i didn't want to roll a natural 20 um i mean frequently i just won't count that as a role it's like that that kind of role the kind of the critical hit the exploding dice though like savage worlds is a perfect example of a role that i will frequently when I'm rolling for NPCs, have to fudge my dice because Savage Worlds does unfortunately kind of have the thing that a little guy walks up and attacks the player uh, and his attack roll explodes and then all his dice explodes and you just kill the player straight yeah. out. Um, so that's a system that I fudge like all the time I'm playing, which I, arguably is bad game design. 
I, with two die 20, I'm really happy with truths, which I'm, that's, that's going to be my, my canned term for all of the systems. I think Octoon Cthulhu, it sounded a little like floofy to me initially, a truth, but (laughs) I, I have come around to recognize it's, it's, it's descriptive value. When last we had a situation where like the, the team was trying to stealth into a location and they were, uh, they were in danger of being, um, being noticed and they were, um, I just did what you said. I loaded up, I spent some extra threat and I had also, I, I knew that these Noctville guards had night vision goggles on. So their roles were really easy. Um, it would have been probability-wise highly unlikely for them not to notice the characters as they were moving. Um, now, if they hadn't in that situation, I had some ideas that you know they there there was there was a situation in which they were almost entirely they were going to be noticed. I actually would not, um, and I think this is just a preference thing as a GM. Like I would not just say, okay, they you know. You know it. You get noticed. I, I there would be. I would establish a truth that yeah. makes it so there's there's no way around it. Um, but I would I would use my meta currency. I would spend my threat to do that. Uh, and if the players were really clever, I you know maybe hey I I would let that go. Another thing about two D twenty that's good about when you roll is that you can actually whereas in most other systems you would say you succeed. You know the player yeah. says I want to do this, and in and, 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 you know ten years ago. 20 years ago, we'd have gone, we'll roll for that. And nowadays, you know, GMs have read enough stuff. Or if you, if you haven't read it, we're, I'm giving you the permission. Yeah, there you go. Old, older person giving you the permission to actually, sometimes you can just say, just no. And ideally, more often, you can just say, yes, don't make someone roll. If there is a chance that someone's going to fail something which they shouldn't, just let them succeed. Yeah. Um, and 2D20 has a kind of a weird mechanism there is that you can have difficulty zero. You essentially say, player, that is difficulty zero. If you attempt it, you succeed. The players can then choose to roll which you'd think why would you choose to roll well you can't fail you cannot fail a difficulty zero roll what you can do is gain momentum so you can do the thing that you can't fail really well which then builds momentum to the future you can also then roll complications which is fun because then what you're doing is okay this weird thing might happen um but you're giving the players the option there to go okay i can just succeed so that's again a really cool thing that you can do in in 2d20 where you can say well okay this is difficult is it you know essentially you are saying you succeed. But if you yep. want to roll, some people like rolling, um, which is unfortunately a lot of systems like, <laughs> yes, my wife is now jumping up and down and going, me, 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 because she likes rolling dice. Um, 2D20 is a good system. The fact that you can roll when you don't need to. In most systems, rolling when you don't need to is a bad idea because it increases yep. your chances of failing. Um, although that, that's a whole another conversation about the idea of sort of failing forward and stuff. But again, that's, I think that depends on a lot on the system and whether there is Something like Dungeon World, you know, I know neither of us are keen on Power by the Apocalypse, but they're very clear on if you failed, you should fail forward. Failing yeah. should be interesting. Failing should be part of the story. And in a narrative system, you can do that. In a less narrative system, um, like, you know, the, the 5e and a lot of other kind of more mechanically heavy ones, failing forward is very difficult. You know, you miss someone, well, you missed. You don't do any damage. You failed right. your stealth right. check. Um, which actually, that brings me on to like, the, the other thing we need to talk about. So we, we mentioned the time kind of things where you DMs fudge behind the scene. I think the other thing is what do you do in those situations where um, a player doing, the player is going to roll and the player is going to know whether their role was good or bad. And the result of that role tells them what's happened. So the three examples I can think of is one is rolling for stealth. Yeah. A second one would be um, sort of like rolling for 
sort of perception, you know, do I see something? Do I find the thing? And the third one is kind of in social interactions. Because yeah, in all those cases, think... you know, the player roles, they know whether they have a good role and they know whether they have a bad role. Um, and sometimes it's, you kind of think, maybe I, you know, the, cla- the classic one is like the, 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 against each other. You say, to, oh, can you make a perception roll? Yeah. And they yeah. roll badly. And then because they failed, they, they just, think. They know. They, they know, know something's coming. Up, something's coming. Um, which you can you can do that on purpose when there's nothing coming, just to make just the mess with them. Um, which is why D and D having passive perception was a really good idea. You just look at their passive perception. They don't need to roll. You can just check. Okay. Yep. You can roll your you can roll your you know yourself against their passive perception, which is I kind of think that should be a that should exist way more. There should be like a passive investigation and a passive perception, a lot of just sort of passive things that like you a could, passive You self. could easily do that with 5e. You could just... Yeah, you could do it really easily. Yeah. It'd be like taking 10, like we already said. Um, although sometimes failing is funny, but generally, how do you perceive that as an issue? Yeah. I, uh, I, I that's tough because I think sometimes asking for a role, it prompts the play. You, <laughs> yeah. you, that's your tell, you know, uh, okay, everyone, uh, everyone, roll perception. That is the, the immediate. You are telegraphing <laughs> to the players that there's something they want to percept, and when they fail, then they know that they, you know, they haven't. Now, the way yeah. that I deal with this in two die twenty is virtually all the time I announce the difficulty because it just makes my life as GM easier. You know, I'll say difficulty two, difficulty one, whatever. In those situations, I won't. Right. So I'll just say, okay, so everyone, everyone go ahead and, you know, you, you walk into this area. And also what I, what I normally do is I'll have an idea as to what, like they walk into a new area. Okay. They walk into a room. Yeah. And I have a list of obvious qualities and things they would notice. And then I'll say, does anyone want to roll? Or I'll say, and everyone, or sometimes I will prompt them to roll, but I just won't tell them what the difficulty is. And then I'll dole out based on how successful they are. Um, Now, the one tricky part with that that I found, I haven't done that often. The one tricky part with that is obviously if they generate momentum, like how how do you account for that without them being able to, to deconstruct what the difficulty was or something like that? But that's one way. Um, I think having... When it comes to noticing things and investigative kind of things, figuring things out, you need to provide people with a list. You need to provide them with a description of what anyone with a pair of eyes, ears, and yeah, you know, a nose totally. would notice walking into a room. It, that's ridiculous. You, if you were to put someone in a room, oh, roll perception. Why? Like, I'm standing in the room. What do I see? You know, and, and I mean, I take into account also, I try to encourage players to be descriptive. Not just say, well, I look around the room. Well, like, how? Where do you look around the room? You know, like, in this Operation Wallace, there was a room to be searched, and there were two separate areas where things could be found. And so I asked the players, well, I'm going to look around the room. Well, tell me what you're doing. Like, what, what does that look like? And that then, that told me which one he was looking into which then you know that that's that's the route i went down in terms of the adventure as to what they were rolling and what they what they found if they were successful um but i think that's a that's a way to do it with that is um you you have your list and then if you want them to roll or if they want to roll um you can just not tell them the difficulty or just not tell them i i just try in in your pass fail style games i just try to not ask for those roles 
because it's just, a, like I said, it's just a tell. You're admitting that there's something yeah. worth seeing. Yeah, I think the kind of thing there is, is almost if the players want to look and they say, well, I want to look around, then you can make them roll because they're the one saying they want to look. When you ask them yeah. to do it, it's like you said, you're telling them something. Yeah, I mean, the thing I've done, similar to kind of what you're saying recently, when we, I've been playing a sort of like no GM game with Brian just because there's only two of us and we thought it more fun. Mm. Um, when we're in situations where we could do that, so like getting information or talking to a, talking to a complete stranger, and rather than like, we don't have enough, rather than roll info, do they like us or not like straight away? Simply just to write, we're going to do a persuasion role. And on a really high roll, then they really like us and we get what we want. On a really bad roll, then we don't. And not actually having a difficulty, just purely going on, well, I know, you know, and, you know, I know how the DCs go in and it's like you said on the difficulty for 2D20. Well, I know like 10 is this and five is this and 15 is this and 20 is this. So actually just purely going, well, I'm going to make my roll. And based on how well I roll, that will determine it rather than, or have I, have I beaten or not beaten the difficulty? So for looking around a room, like a 17 would be, well, that was a good roll. So I'm going to, I'm going to fight. See, we're going to, you know, I'm going to see some of the stuff. And that's the kind of thing I might, I might put into, yeah. you know, not worrying so much about when I'm playing games in the future. You know, the thing says, this is the fixed difficulty. And it's like, well, actually, if they're, if they're under that by a bit, well, they can have some of the information. If they're over it by a lot, then they can have loads of the information, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, that is an issue in that year zero system in terms of, uh, is very that is very binary you kind of you know the players if the players fail and yeah. the players fail a lot they, they get nothing um there's not kind of a here's some of the information well, and that's why like you know the idea again it's something we've said it's a modern game design is the degrees of success you know when when success yes. is very binary that again is if that would go more into the well roll less because the more you roll the more you're going to fail so if you've got a system where your characters are going to fail a lot then roll less. But if you've got a system where you've got degrees of success, like you know, two D twenty has to some extent. You know, the World of Darkness things where you had, you know, you could get loads of success. It's Shadowrun and stuff like that. Um, then it's easier to make players roll more often because you know that they can go. Oh well, you needed four successes, but you only got three. Tell you what, here's what you know for you know. So it, right. the system does lay into that a bit more. You could use that in two D twenty. I mean, if the difficulty is three, which is a you know moderately high difficulty, and they only roll two successes on like a gathering information thing, you as GM could just decide on the fly. Okay, you get this much, but you don't get the whole deal. Or, or maybe maybe you get some uh, information that distracts you. Now that's that's something that yeah. you know you, you, that's something that that might be uncomfortable or dicey for some GMs to try to come up with uh, in the moment. There's a there's a horror uh, RPG that I've played called Chill. I don't know if I've ever mentioned so. that to you. It's a percentile-based system, and they I mean, it's an investigative system. I think it actually does investigations far better than Gumshoe does because every time you roll an investigative skill, and they, 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 they categorize investigative skills, and there aren't very many of them. You're either interviewing a person, you're doing research, or you're studying a site. Yeah. Or looking at a thing. So you're like, you're in the archives, you're, you're inter interrogating or interviewing someone, or you're picking through like a crime scene. And based on that, when you roll, no matter what you roll, you will always get what's called a vital oh. clue. And that's a clue that, it, that moves yeah. the plot forward. 
if you roll poorly, like you fail, you get a vital clue, but you will also get a distractor. <laughs> so you may not know which. So and so, but that that then puts a a, a plot generation, a story burden on the GM because you've got to think of these different kinds mm-hmm. of clues. As you roll like higher and higher, you could get like additional, you know, different kinds of information. You get more information. You get you know like a breakthrough type of thing. All of a sudden, you you really launch your investigation forward. So, the, like, whereas Gumshoe, for investigative purposes, guarantees that you will always get the information that you need because you're supposed to be an expert, the, um, the, the one problem I found with that is that because it's so meta-narrative, yeah. I have never found a Gumshoe game where people actually play their characters at the table. They, they play their characters as pieces. Right. Instead of, like... I'm playing my character, and I, I prefer more the latter than the former. Um, so, you know, that, that could be something that you could potentially, if, if, you had, if you had a 2 die 20 story where there was going to be a good amount of investigation by some means, maybe you think about the difficulty more as if you succeed, then that's, um, that's you get everything that's vital. But if you come close, like you get two successes instead of three, maybe you get a little, you get a sense of something. Yeah. Then at least the plot moves, the story moves forward. You don't get stuck. Yeah. Most of the, most of the Infinity ones I played where there was a substantial amount of investigation would normally have kind of, you'd roll against a flat difficulty and it was the number of successes, you know, so four successes would give you loads of information and more than you yeah. needed probably. And, but one or two as the GM, you could decide the important bits to, yeah, and there was yeah, usually like, you know, yeah. multiple ways to it, but I, I really like the idea of like the sort of the you know red herring or something that's going to send you to yep. somewhere that maybe that isn't super important because players will do that to themselves anyway. You know, they pick up on that thing that wasn't important and they chase that bone, and you're just like, oh, um, yeah. The other thing I was going to go into then was the sort of the the rolling when you're in almost straight up sort of social situations, you know, so the class, you know, you're, you're charming someone or you're using intimidation. Yeah. One of the things I've found with that is that, like I said, I've got one player that is much better at being charming and saying the right thing than the other one. But then if their character is like that, then that's fine. But if it's not, how much do you then look at, you know, someone says they give them brilliant spiel or tell a brilliant lie, like a really well crafted, amazing lie. Now, in some like D2, actually, it's, in most of these things, right, well, you've done really well. I will lower the difficulty. You will have advantage on the roll. Yeah. Um, but then the problem you've got is actually what you're doing is you are the person who comes up with the cool ideas. They're getting an advantage in system that maybe their, their players should do. Yep. So should you then just go, no, 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 you're, you're, I'm just going, you know, so where do you draw the line between the sort of the player, the, what the player can do, what the character do? Because, you know, the classic, like you've got an orc barbarian who spins this amazing yarn and you're like, oh, well, brilliant, you get to roll with a bonus, but your character's actually crap at it. So I guess then that evens out, but should they have been able to do that in the first place? Or, you know, that, that, that thing actually where the, the, again, the, the player is really super charismatic, but their character's got this like, you know, minus on charisma or, you know, persuasion or whatever. And you're like, well, then how, you know, why, why are they? Yeah. How do you, I find that is really challenging. And then on the intelligence yeah. side, especially in like pass fail type systems, you know, you have a player who comes up with a really interesting idea to try to solve a problem, but their, 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 their character's an idiot. And like, well, how do, how do we adjudicate that? How do we figure that out? Um, 
How do you, I mean, I like to lean on the idea that our play, our characters are always for the context of the story. We, we, will, we will accept that our players are cooler, smarter, and faster, and stronger yeah. than we are. Uh, and so like, that's why I, I really love using um, like asynchronous uh, like, uh, forums, discussion boards, Discord, stuff like that for just text, not for talking, but for text. Um, to play out like social interactions. And what I tend to do is I will, because then you give people time to think like I'm my, I'm not the super spy, but if you give me a day, I could (laughs) think I'm like the super spy and I might be able to write something that's kind of super spy ish. And then I take that into account as I adjust things like what to roll, when to roll, and, and the difficulty related to the roll. Because like, okay, you came up with this great idea, and no, you're not as cool and smooth as your your character, but you you didn't play your character, but you described your character in a way yeah. that makes sense. So we adjust a roll based on that. Um, and so I, I found that enables me to get around the issue of like, well, how, you know, how am I supposed to adjudicate again? You're, and, but the, the problem, though, is that's usually where yeah. the character is better than the player at that, not the other way around. That's <laughs> always a challenge. Like when you have your intelligence seven barbarian. I was going to say, oh, I was going to say, yeah, the thing I, one thing I really like about 2D20, which sort of solves, the particular thing solves the thing you had, is the Star Trek thing. That would be a perfect example where like none of the car- players are as intelligent their character. Their character's like, you know, far future engineers or scientists right. or medics and, they know all this stuff, stars. whereas, you know, funnily enough, we don't know how a warp core works or about how the conduits are going to do something if you do the first one. And so I, I love the fact that actually your solutionary problem there was just, well, the players sit around, they spitball some ideas, and then whichever one the GM likes the most, they kind of say, well, that's the, that's the best one, and then they just let them roll, and then that's yeah. the solution. Um, I thought that was a really cool well, way take- of sort of solving it. I think that you can you can yeah. steal that yeah. for any of the, the the systems because I mean it's just based around the extended task system, uh, and you know you could have a general idea from the outset. Okay, what is the general like categorical nature of this of this issue? You know, like in Star Trek, is it is it scientific? Is it medical? Is it engineering? You know, and the first thing the players figure out through their characters is that. You can establish that in advance, and they roll for it, but then how they figure it out, yeah, it's some kind of wazoo Star Trek stuff that yeah. they figure out themselves. I think that's actually a, that, that's a good way to go about, well, we talk about investigations, like, again, some other time in, in more detail, but um, I think that, that creates that nice collaborative storytelling piece because then the, the GM can throw interesting challenges at the, the players, but the players are the ones who are devising the, the end there. Um, back, to the, back to rolling in, in general. Um, it's hard. I think, I think it's easiest to say nowadays, like, don't yeah. roll for everything. Roll when it's interesting. Well, what's interesting? I think from my perspective, I think interesting means if failure is going to produce like challenges and obstacles that will add to the story and the key points add yeah. to the story. So again, it's not the goblin who walks up and pulls out a, you know, a crappy little pistol and, and shoots you and you're dead. Something yeah. stupid like that, you know, like <clears throat> out of the blue, 
you know, exploding dice, critical, you're, you're dead because of something entirely stupid and, and, and random. Or the, uh, the, the degree of success will shape how the story proceeds. Yeah, I think I'd add to that saying, like, so sometimes, because one of the problems, like the interesting things, like we want, like, if failure is going to be interesting, there are times, like, look at the investigation, the clue-based stuff's really important, where if you, you know, the, the opening the door, the classic, you know, role-playing thing, right? There's a door, you have to get through this door, you have to open this chest, you have to hack this computer, and the players all fail. And the yeah. game just grinds to a halt because they failed the role, therefore you can't move on. Now, if the alternative was, well, you just might make them roll, then you take some out. But there's like a third way. The third way would be, right, if you fail the role, will you succeed? But it's the yes, but. Again, this is a kind of a modern game design thing. Yep. You have yes, but. All right, you, 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 okay, you know, the players, oh man, I got this really terrible role. No, no, it's okay. You managed to hack the computer. You managed to open the door. But, you know, a guard hears you. You set the off an alarm and, and so on, you know, so the, the, you, you know, it's the fail forward idea. Um, so I think definitely, you know, that, that's the best piece of advice to give is essentially, you know, you don't have to roll all the time. Yeah. I mean, in combat, yeah, we roll all the time because that's, you know, people like doing that. But if we're, you know, if you're in a situation where, you know, outside of it, we don't need to roll all the time. We roll where it's going to be, you know, useful if you succeed. And if you fail, then either there's going to be, something interesting happens or we can still move the plot along, but there's a, you know, there's a complication. Um, I think that's the kind of the way people need to think about rolling. It sh it, it, people should never think that it's a binary. You roll for everything. And if you fail the roll, right. definitely doesn't happen. And that's it. And, and unfortunately there are games out there that kind of say, that's how, that's how you should play. And if you haven't read a lot of other role playing stuff and you've only experienced sort of very narrow things, uh, you will have, GMs that will tell players. I know you failed, so that's it. Or for or for example, like you mentioned, critical role. Lots of people are coming to D and D, and they're first they're they're stopping at D and D in terms of yeah. gaming. That's a whole other issue. But they're coming to D and D because of that, and that's that's their view of it. We well, roll for everything. Yeah, I think that's fine. If you realize that as a GM, like he's a good GM, that real well, when a player fails, I'm going to do something interesting with this. And because the players, you know, because all these players are actors, and he is an actor. Yep. They will spin failure into something interesting. But us mere mortals, um, you know, that might be harder. So then it's, you know, times I go, well, sometimes let's just not roll for things. You succeed. You, or when you yeah. fail, you fail. But um, I think it's, it's worth thinking that, that a lot of games, you know, failing a role isn't necessarily you don't do the thing you want to do. It can frequently be you do do the thing you want to do, but something else happens as well. Um, and I think that's a really important way to think of it. If you're playing a game that doesn't have yes, however, type mechanics, like, like two die 20 does, you know, you can be successful yeah. and roll a complication. That's what I'd call a yes. However, if you, if you're yeah. playing a system that doesn't use that, that doesn't have that mechanic, you just, you could view failure differently. You could view failure as either not yes. succeeding at what you set out to do or having something else come alongside it that you did not anticipate and don't necessarily want. But yeah, I think your advice of just you don't have to roll for everything. You just don't. Um, yeah. Makes a lot more sense. Um, all these people who buy lots of dice, lots of custom dice, and yeah. people who sell lots of custom dice, they don't want to hear that. But I think you're right. Yeah, I think those are the two important bits of... Yeah advice that we can give to people all right there we go so don't roll for everything there we go only roll for the interesting stuff. and if you are going to roll for things 
failure doesn't have to mean failure. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. Our next episode will be 2Die20 focused, and we will go through Star Trek Adventures' use of the scientific method as a problem-solving mechanic and also talk about some ways that you could use that in some of your other 2Die20 games. Thank you so much for listening. You can visit our show's homepage at anchor.fm slash fluff and crunch. That's F-L-U-F-F-N-C-R-U-N-C-H. We would really appreciate feedback and reviews on whatever podcasting platform you're listening to this on. Thanks so much.